Wasn't that cool to hear a couple of testimonies from camp? Oh, so good. I remember I, my first year at camp, I was eight years old, and I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that I've never forgotten. I learned to hear his voice at camp, and you can tell that these kids are as well. It's so good. So today, Shane is going to speak with us, share with us from his heart, and uh, I just have come to appreciate this brother in the Lord. I've, I, we really got to know each other about 12 years ago when we were both in uh, foster care training together, you and April and me and Becky, and it was good that we went through that together because some of the things you encounter, you need some people to lean on. God works through each other to help support but yeah, we really got to know each other, and I can just tell you, over the time that I've known you, brother, God has just shown me that you have a heart of encouragement. It's right from God's heart to encourage and bring truth, and so I just want to pray for you as you take it. God, I just bless the word that you've put on your son's heart. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive everything you're speaking, showing, and giving. We open up our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, ACF. As promised, last time I preached, I told you God gave me a three-part message on mud. And this is, the first message was about meaning in the mud, right? We learned that we can't beat ourselves up over the mess in the mud in our lives because life is messy. But we learned that mess brings us motivation, and motivation gives us movement, and movement indicates life or ministry, right? Because life is messy, and if we ain't moving, we're dead. So we learned also that we are butt dust. Come on, remind your neighbor, give them a shove and tell them they're butt dust. Come on. <laughs> butt dust. Remember, life is messy because that's what we're made of. We were made from dust, and some of you might not remember that first message, but I want you to know at ACF, we have podcasts. So if you need to refresh your memory, you can get into some archives because there is plenty of great sermons that have been preached from this church and they're in the archives. I know sometimes I need to hear a sermon like 15 times and keep chewing on it and chewing on it before it really digests into my heart. So I want you to know that if you need to, you can find these sermons on the podcasts. All right, today, part two, we're going to learn about mercy in the mud. You better believe if God gives you meaning in the mess, in the mud in your life, he's going to pour out his mercy. Amen. Amen. Let's ask God to continue to bless our time today. Lord, as we just dig into your word, I'm praying right now. God, I know you're already opening hearts to receive what you have for us today. God, flood us with your mercy. Flood us with your mercy. And as we get flooded, Lord, let us be quick to release your mercy to others the same way you've done to us. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, that you are with us and that you guide us. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. amen. If you would, turn with me this morning to the book of John in the 8th chapter. You can get your tablet, your Bible. It's even going to be on the screen. While you're turning there. I want you to know that this is one of the most controversial portions of Scripture. Some scholars don't even think this should be in the Bible. Some early manuscripts do not have this in the Bible. 
But I don't know if it's the scholars that don't want it in the Bible. I don't know if it's because of the early manuscripts or it's because of the content that's in this portion of Scripture. Because it can be scandalous. And we're going to find out why in just a minute. Let's look at John chapter 8, starting with verse 1. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Where's the guy? Good question. Last time I checked, it takes two. That's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? See, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You see, they didn't really want to accuse the woman. They were using the woman to accuse Jesus. But this next sentence in verse 6 the way this next sentence starts is something we need to get down inside of us. It says, but Jesus. We need to get this down. Listen, we started with but dust. Now we got but Jesus. You know, you start with but dust. Your life is a mess. It's messy. It's muddy. And you're trying to find the meaning of it. And once you find that meaning, but Jesus. His mercy starts to flood into this. Listen, you think you're in a situation that there's no way out of, that you have no hope, but Jesus. Oh, you thought your marriage was on shambles and there's no way to fix it, but Jesus. Your kids are out of control, but Jesus. We need to get this down. Listen, Jesus was the only one that knew exactly what to do in this woman's situation. And he's the only one that knows how to fix your situation. But Jesus. The rest of verse 6, it says, But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Let's recap this. So, the Pharisees and the religious leaders catch this woman doing something that deserves death. They drag this woman into where Jesus is, and there's a ton of people there. They're trying to trap Jesus into the law. And when they do this, I can see this woman, she looking at Jesus, the only person that's given her any kind of hope. It's her only way out of this. And when they confront Jesus, he bends down. And starts writing in the dirt. They must have thought he lost his mind. Or they thought they stumped Jesus. I love what the Bible has in it. There's so many truths. There's so much good stuff that we can get out of the word of God. Amen. But I also love what the Bible leaves out. Because the Bible never tells us what Jesus wrote in the dirt. So I did some research. And I was looking at some theories about what Jesus could have possibly written in the dirt. So I'm going to give you a couple of them. Theory one is this, that he was just doodling. Think about it. He's God, but he was also man. How many of us have ever sat in an important meeting or in church and we just start doodling on paper. Nothing to do with anything that's going on or anything related to what's being 
preached, we just doodling. We're putting pictures of cats, and we're figuring out how to draw certain things. Listen, it could have happened. He could have just been doodling on the ground. Theory two, maybe he was writing scriptures in the sand. It was Jesus. I think he knew a lot of scriptures. I mean, he spoke most of the New Testament. So he could have been writing scriptures down. And maybe as he wrote these scriptures, these people were being convicted, and they began to walk away one at a time. Theory three, my favorite. And this one my imagination can run a little bit on. But theory three is this. Some scholars think that Jesus might have been writing down the names of the people that were gathered around this woman holding the stones. And next to their names, he put a little line, and he started writing down some of their dirt while he was in the sand. He wrote down James, and he put a little dash. Last Tuesday, lust. And then he drew an arrow down to Tom, and he wrote on that arrow, Tom's wife. And I see James immediately stand up, and he's out of here. But the thing, Tom sees it too. He gets up, and he starts following James, except Tom still has that stone in his hand, right? Because he's going to have a conversation with James. If there's a Tom and a James in here, they were just common names. I wasn't picking on anybody. And then he writes down Tina, 1994 senior prom, General Brown High School. Rob Robkowski. Ford Taurus. Tina and Rob see this, they both get up and they take off. You see, nobody wants their stuff aired out like these people are trying to do to this woman. And Jesus is bent down in the dirt and he's writing. And as he writes, he looks up for a second and says, oh, by the way, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. And he keeps writing. And it was interesting what it said in verse 9. It says, from the oldest, they left first and then the youngest. What's the reason for that? My thought is, the older people had a bigger list of sins. And they didn't want their stuff aired out to their young prodigies because they're going to find out with the stuff that they have. They're going to find out that their life is muddy and messy. And they don't want the young people to start condemning them like they're trying to condemn this woman. You see, Jesus was sitting there. And they thought they had the dirt on this woman. But Jesus said, oh, you want to talk about dirt? I can start writing stuff in the dirt if you want. But God, so one by one, they all start walking away. And this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because it's just this woman covered in her filth, in the middle of her mess. And she's standing alone with Jesus. But there's a problem. There's a problem. The problem is verse 7. You see, this woman's standing there by herself with Jesus. And I can picture the verse 7 starts running through her mind when Jesus said, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. Now she's standing next to the only person that is without sin. And I can see in her mind, she's starting to say, what's he going to do to me? Is he going to drag me through the mud? This is the only guy that can bury me right now. He's the one that can throw the stone and end my life. What's he going to do? But I can see fear starting to set into this lady's mind. But as soon as it did, I think Jesus starts speaking verse 10. Verse 10, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. 
He said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. You see, the only one that could have thrown the stone, the only one that could have buried this woman, the only one that knew about her whole mess and knew about everything that was going on, instead of burying her, instead of throwing stones at her, Jesus knelt down in the dirt and he took his clean hands and he got them dirty. And instead of burying her, he pulled her up from the mud. He pulled her out of the mess and he gave her new life. I don't know who God's speaking to today or why you're here, but I know that Jesus wants you to know that you're here because you need mercy. You need mercy. You need mercy in the middle of your situation. Hallelujah. I don't know what you're going through, but there's mercy in the mess. Oh, you keep getting standing next to the devil and he's got a handful of stones and he keeps throwing them at you because he wants you to remember what you said. He wants you to remember the things that you did. He wants you to remember how you weren't there and how you walked out at times. But you got to remember when them stones are flying. The only one who is without sin, the only one that can throw those stones, he's the one that's lifting you up in these impossible situations. He's the one that that is dragging you out of the mud. He got his hands dirty for you. That's mercy. That's mercy. That's mercy in the mud. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think there's another great portion of scripture that talks about mercy in the midst of muddy times. And it's in the book of Acts in the 27th and 28th verse chapters. So in Acts 27 and 28, Paul is being accused of a crime that he shouldn't have been accused of, and he's getting put uh, on a boat full of prisoners, heading someplace that he never intended on being, all because of somebody else's decisions. Have you ever had to go through something that you shouldn't have gone through because of someone else's decisions? Huh. Oh, I wouldn't be a mess right now if it wasn't for you. My family wouldn't be in turmoil if it wasn't for that person. Have you ever had to go through something because of someone else's decisions? So Paul is facing this, this mess that he had no business being in. And, and I found over my life, and I'm sure other people have had these same thoughts. When I end up in a situation that I feel like I shouldn't have been in, one thing that I always want to do to God is I want to ask him why. God, what's the reason that I'm going through this? And I've heard this from other people. And, and even as a pastor, when people call me and they, they're telling me about trials that they're facing, I want to be quick to give them a reason. You know, think of those coffee, coffee cup scripture verses like Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good. Uh, we give them Jeremiah 29.11. You know, I know the plans for you. We want to be quick to give them a reason. But I have found out in parts of my life that I don't need a reason for why I'm going through what I'm going through. Sometimes I just need a reassurance that God is still with me, that he has not left me. And I tell people that if God's still with you, so am I. I'm going to stand with you in the middle of your mess because that's what God does. So sometimes we can get stuck in the reason. And if we get stuck in the reason, we're going to miss out on the reassurance that you're still his child, and that he is still with you. Amen. So Paul's getting put on this boat that he doesn't belong on, and he's heading out to sea. 
someplace he didn't plan on going. And God speaks to Paul through a dream, and he tells Paul, listen, you're going to go out to sea, it's going to be a big storm, the boat's going to be destroyed, but nobody's going to die. So Paul does exactly what I believe any of us would do if God spoke to us like this. He went to the sailors and the captain of the boat, and he said, we're not going. We can't go out there. It's going to be a bad storm. Bad things are going to happen. Just stay here. And the sailors did what most of our kids do when we try to give them advice. You're right. They did not listen. So they looked at Paul and said, we've been doing this for years. Trust me, we got this. And they went out into the storm. And just like God had told Paul, the waves came, the seas were crashing on them, the boat was getting destroyed all night long. They were suffering in the storm, scared to death, until morning came and they crashed on this little island called Malta. Let me show you. Malta is that little tiny island. They had no intention of going to Malta, but that's where they landed. Have you ever been to Malta? Sure you have. Malta is that unexpected place. Malta is that place you never planned on going. Malta is that place you saw other people's marriages unravel. You never thought yours would. Malta is that place you thought your kids would be perfect because you've seen other kids just go crazy and that wasn't going to happen in your family. Have you ever been to Malta? I can say most of us, about all of us, have been on Malta at one point or another in our lives. The interesting thing about where they crashed and where they landed Malta, stuck and stranded, feeling alone and abandoned. Do you know what Malta means? Place of refuge. Interesting that they crashed there. Can I get a little personal with you? Can I share a little bit about my Malta? So my wife and I were in full-time ministry. We were doing what God had called us to do. And... Uh, Right in the middle of the ministry, we're going, you know, leading, doing all this stuff. And we end up in the middle of the worst storm that I've ever faced in my life. All because of my decisions. All because of something I did. Because of my sin. My family was going through it. My wife was going through it. And I was right on the boat with them. And I knew it was my fault. So as we're being battered and beaten, I had people coming up to me saying, I will never forgive you. You will never be forgiven for this. I had people telling me, some higher up religious leaders, that said, listen, you will never minister again. One of the things that I learned through some of this was, sometimes you can't always listen to people. Because, you know, when you're going through something, people don't offer you a Band-Aid or an aspirin. They just want to give you a reason why you're going through what you're going through. As if I didn't already know it was my fault. I knew the reason I was going through that. And I didn't need a reason at that time. Because I was feeling hopeless and abandoned. And what I needed was reassurance. That God had not left me. God had not left my family. And God sure as heck didn't leave the ministry. And one of the things I found out through this, too, was some of the people that I hurt the most and that were the closest to me 
were the people that showed me the most mercy. And people that were on the outside and had no skin in the game were some of the people that condemned me the most and said things that were tearing me down. So we're in the middle of this storm. Our boat's being destroyed. My family's going through it. My wife's going through it. The ministry's going through it. And we crash on Malta. Can I show you a picture of Malta? I didn't know it at the time. But this is my Malta. We're going through it, and we crashed here. And I felt stuck and stranded. I felt abandoned and alone. And the interesting thing, when Paul crashed on Malta, the people there showed him great mercy. When we crashed on Malta, your mercy began to flood our lives. Your mercy began to flood our lives. And healing and restoration began when we crashed on Malta. The interesting thing about the story with Paul is while Paul was on Malta and he was beginning to heal, another tragedy took place on the island. And it took place in Paul's life. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to read it for yourself. <laughs> so Paul, just when he thought the storm was over, something else happened to him. And this is the thing about people too. Because at this time, you know, they first thought, wow, we survived the storm. This is a man of God. God is with him. None of us died. And then this other tragedy happens. And what people do? They flipped right around on Paul. And they were saying, he must be a demon. There's no God that's taking care of He's not a preacher. And they went right the other way. But they expected Paul to die from this next tragedy. Do you know people are surprised that you're still standing today? Do you know that there's people out there that thought when you got knocked down it was over and you weren't going to get up? And people are surprised that you're still walking with God, that you're still praising him in the midst of your storm, that God has showed his mercy in your life. This is why you can't always listen to people. So Paul goes through this other tragedy while he's on Malta. And while he's there, one of the head people on the island hear about Paul. And surviving this tragedy. So he goes to Paul and he says, Paul, I got a problem. And nobody can help me with it. He said, my dad's sick. He's got the Malta fever. Nobody can save him or do anything for it. Paul, can you help me? And I believe it was at this moment that Paul realized that he had two choices. He could either sit on Malta and wait for this storm to pass. And let whatever happens, happens. Or he could do on Malta what God had called him to do in Rome. Paul went in to Publius' dad's house and he laid hands on his father. And it says he was healed. And the Bible says that whole island got saved. What you do on Malta is your choice. You can either weather the storm and just let... Whatever happens, happens, or you can do on Malta what God has called you to do. You can do on Malta what God has called you to do. So my wife and I are on Malta, and we're going through healing, and another tragedy hits. Didn't hit in our immediate family, it hit in our extended family. And we were dealing with this. 
And during this tragedy, I'm unpacking and getting rid of all the stuff out of the office of the other place I was at. And I remember the last thing that I took off the wall in my office was one of my ministry goals. And one of my goals was to preach to 10,000 people in one service. <laughs> Big goals. Go big or go home, right? <laughs> and I'll never forget when I tore that off the wall and I threw it in the garbage. I said to God, I guess this will never happen. I walked out of there and this other tragedy happens a short time later. I'm sitting in my office at work. The phone rings. It's another minister that didn't know me too well. And he says, is this Shane? I said, it, it is. He said, I heard you're a minister. I didn't know what to say. I just said, uh, okay. He goes, this tragedy that's taken place, he goes, the family is requesting you to minister. And before I could give him a reason or an excuse why I couldn't do it, he stopped me and said, sir, I just need you to know that there's going to be at least 10,000 in this one service. I honestly don't remember what I said to this man, but I must have agreed to it because it happened. But I remember hanging the phone up and sitting in my office just beginning to weep because that's mercy. That's mercy. That's mercy in the midst of our mud. That's mercy in the midst of our lives. When you're going through something that you thought there was no way out of. I had people tell me if I was her husband or her, if she was, if that was my wife, she should have left. I had people telling me that you're the problem. I know I was the problem. I didn't need a reason. I just needed a reassurance. And through his mercy, God told me, you're still my son. You're still my child. I have not left you. I am not going to abandon you. I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. Oh, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for you to prosper. And I want you to know today that God's got you here because he wants to show you his mercy. He wants to pour out his mercy in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of the mud in your life. I don't know who you are or what you're going through, but I know God's got you here for a reason. He's got you here because you needed some mercy in your life. Today, there's mercy. There's mercy in the mud. There's mercy in the mud. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hallelujah. Lord, today, as you begin to pour out your mercy, God, I pray as our, our, our hearts have been opened, Lord, to receive the word that you're giving us. God, I've been preaching this all weekend, but I'm feeling right now, Lord, that you've got somebody specific here today that needs a fresh pouring of your mercy in their situation. Lord, there's somebody here today that you've brought here, God, so they can experience mercy in the mud. Lord, they might have found the meaning but after they found the meaning, they are still going through it and they need some mercy. God, today, rain that mercy down in their lives. Today, if that's you, that God's speaking directly to your heart, I just want you to come up front so that we can just pray that God just pour out 
pour out, overflowing his mercy in your lives. Hallelujah. And this morning, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't even know who this God is, I want you to know that he's still showing you his mercy in the middle of your mess. The Bible says that we can all get to heaven if we accept Christ as our Savior. And if anybody here this morning does not know who Jesus is, I personally want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I don't want you to leave here without seeing one of the pastors so that we can just pray with you and you can accept the God who kneels down in the middle of your mess and he gets his clean hands dirty and instead of condemning you, he gives you new life. He gives you new life. Hallelujah. There's mercy in the mud. There's mercy in the mud. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. I said there was three parts. We learned about meaning in the mud. Let you experience the mercy. God's mercy in the mud. And next time, once you've got the mercy, you're going to find your miracle in the mud. Next time, we're going to see miracles take place. And as you dwell in the mercy and you soak in the mercy, get ready for your miracle. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Amen. He is good. Hallelujah. Come on forward if you want prayer. It's a great message. His, um, his mercies never fail. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. They are new every morning. Just let someone pour that into you today if you need it. Bless you.